Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Angley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Ryan. Good to talk to you today. Good to talk to you today as well. And today we are completing the Barbenheimer uh, that we began in the last That's episode. That's funny. That's true. <laughs> we are doing that. And this is a um, this is an event. I mean, like part of the reason we're doing this, I mean, it, it, similarly to us covering Succession, you know, uh, several uh, weeks ago, is uh, I don't know when the next time we're going to get one of these, where there are two, right. two movies come out on exactly the same uh, day, weekend, uh, that... Uh, capture a lot of uh, cultural and pu- uh, public attention in the same way. As revenge like- against Nolan, right? I mean, that's <laughs> a key thing, right? The universal executive scheduled Barbie on the, they never do this. Yeah. They scheduled Barbie on the day of Oppenheimer just because Nolan left Warner. Sorry, that's I said right. the universal, the Warner executive. Right. And Nor- Nolan went to universal because Warner started this policy that they immediately abandoned of <laughs> simultaneous releases on, what used to be HBO Max and theater. And Nolan mm-hmm. was like, no thanks, I'm going to Universal. And then the executive at Warner is like, okay, you want to you wanna leave? I'm going to put Barbie opposite you. And it, and it was effective. I mean, it was, it was very effective. I, although, although I don't, I think it, I'm not sure it cut into Oppenheimer's. No, I don't think so. Ra- you know, gr- uh, receipts, but I think it did, it certainly was, it, did, it outdid Oppenheimer for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways the like the whole the whole Barbenheimer thing, I think it, it, they it helped each other. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, um, but it it is interesting. You know, even with that with that uh, background, is another reason why you're 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 not likely to see like two like films like that like this come out the same day. And I just think that like the because of streaming and uh, because of how expensive it is to make both TV shows and films the like the the kind of um appointment viewing show or see or or film that emerges out of something that is like a little bit uh, maybe just like a little bit left left of field you know like it's it's easy to to look back like oh of course game of thrones got really popular because of the uh movement and culture to fantasy uh uh projects you know being in, in in film and tv but like i don't think that was obvious while when the first season Aired. Right, you know, it wasn't clear no, I don't that was, was going to happen, um, mm-hmm. and so you know, then it wasn't obvious that Succession was going to be uh, HBO's you know next big show after Game of Thrones was over. I think that they would have expected it to have been House of the Dragon, which would have been the, the sequel, well, prequel to Game of Thrones. Anyway, sa- uh, same same thing here. I think it was not really clear, e- even though the executive uh, set them opposite I- each other for the. Uh, petty reasons i don't think that it was clear it would uh become the kind of cultural thing uh that it, that right. it has become so totally for, for us um you know we covered uh barbie uh, obviously last time um this film we're not really i don't maybe there are some comments that's worth talking about but across the two films but really we're going to be looking at uh this film uh for itself but also within the context of uh nolan's uh trajectory because uh, Todd, you have a little bit of experience writing about Christopher Nolan's Yeah, films. I wrote a book, but, you know, it's a little embarrassing. So <laughs> I'm not sure we want to refer to that too much. <laughs> okay, I don't think it's embarrassing. I like that oh, book, but nice just l- yeah. listeners, the the um, the Todd McGowan reading guide is that any book that he wrote after he met me, he likes. 
Any book he wrote before he met me, he does not like. And it's really easy to tell. It's true. The (laughs) the book that you you can tell when we met because I'm the first citation in it, and that is the comedy book, which is also our first episode. So that's uh, right. So that, that comedy was our first episode. It was our first episode. Sure. So, um, but I still like that Nolan book. I know that you've said to me before, you wish you wrote it about a different filmmaker. Um, yeah. But um, I think there are some things that would be worth um, pulling from uh, in, from that book. There's one thing that I have in mind that I did not tell you about. We'll see if it comes okay. up in this conversation. Okay. Um, but I think um, this is a three hour film. So we're going to try to make this not be a three hour podcast. Yeah, let's uh, not do that. We're going to not do that, even though we're going to be considering uh, Nolan's uh, filmography uh, as such. The what is the thing? I, I think I want to start with this to, to, to get into our Oppenheimer thoughts. I mean, you did write that book. I know you've obviously just said that you found it embarrassing. What was it about his cinema that uh, compelled you before? And I'm just going to put it put it like that, because I think as a leading question, because I know where we're going to go with this. Yeah, I liked what I really liked about him, and I think it's evident in following his first film, Memento, his second film, and then Prestige, which is his fifth film. Uh, what I really liked about him was the way that the hero ends up being also the villain. Like, that's mm-hmm. true in the first two, and it's it's true. Prestige has a little bit of an out on that because one of, there's a different, I don't want to give too much away, although there's a, there's a there's a kind of duplication at work in prestige. There you go. Let's it off the hook a little bit, but I loved that aspect of him, and I thought that that was a really dialect. There's this dialectical dimension, even foundation to his cinema, and that's what I that's what I really liked. And the book I think goes through it does Inception, and then that's the end. So it doesn't do mm-hmm. Dark Knight Rises or Interstellar or Dunkirk or Tenet or obviously. Oppenheimer. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it is around this. So this is the, this is kind of the big thing. This is, or one of our big things with, uh, with, with, with Oppenheimer. And it it is something that happens in in Nolan cinema and it, the seeds of it are in insomnia, but it is not full blown until the Batman movies. And this is the, this is the thing. So what Todd just said, where the hero is also, also the villain. And you have to think about that together like memento is just a perfect example of this because perfect because the the twist at the end of the film which you have to we have to talk about to talk about that film is that he he, the you know the um uh leonard shelby leonard shelby's character who has uh this condition right that's what he keeps saying i have this condition where he can't make new memories and he's looking for the person responsible for the injury that he suffered that made it so that he cannot make new uh, memories because this guy, John G raped and killed his wife. That's what he knows. And he has on his body uh, tattoos of things that he shouldn't forget. Okay. Clues basically. Clues. Yeah. Clues to, to help him with, with the case. The, uh, and what you, to, to really, I mean, it's a, it's a film that's worth us talking about in depth sometime, perhaps as a standalone episode, but just to yeah. breeze through right to the end. It also has, of course, if, if people don't know, I think sort of people, mo- most people do, but it has this conceit where like, uh, the sequences of the film that are in color, uh, move backwards in, in time and the sequences in the film that are black and white move forward in time. And then they eventually meet together and there's a great moment at the, at at the end where the film stock just changes. It's a great film. I mean, it's a great moment because you can't really tell. You're like, wait a minute, all of a sudden it was in black and white. Now it's in color. What happened? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we, we meet up there at the end and then what the big reveal at the end of the film is, is that uh, Leonard Shelby has set up himself 
right. to investigate the crime. Like he, he has already solved it with the help of uh, Joe Pantoliano's character, uh, Teddy, Teddy. uh, and who, yeah, so, which is important. His name is not really Teddy. Um, his name is also a John G, uh, but he doesn't remember. So he, he, he tricks himself. He leaves a note for himself to not trust his best friend. The only, the, really the only person who, uh, he can, trust. He, he can trust or should. And then he tendentiously pursues his best friend and ha- kills him as the, the, as the, the a culmination of, uh, of, of, of the events that, you know, led to his, uh, which is the beginning of the film, which is the beginning actually. of the film. Yeah. Uh, because it's see, going backwards. Could, yeah. yeah, exactly. And you can see as we're describing, we're trying not to make it too confusing, but the point is, is that like where he becomes hero and villain is that like, you're very sympathetic. This guy he had this thing happen to him that makes him very sympathetic. He's going through, um, you know, uh, he, he suffers he probably you could call it a traumatic brain injury. I have a lot of sympathy with that, you know, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And, and the condition that he had, I remember being in therapy and I saw the same guy that got in a motorcycle accident. And every time I saw him, he was, I had to reintroduce myself to him. So wow. like, I like, you know, like that was the, we, I saw him like every like three days a week for a while. Um, but he never remembered me. I mean, there's no reason to, but it was just like, that's it. So, you know, I mean, that thing yeah. happens in real life. If you know, you hear yeah. stories like that, of course you have, sympathy for, for Leonard Shelby. And then sort of as the film goes on, like, Oh, and how did it happen? Well, his wife was uh, raped and, and, and killed and he was injured in the thing. But then you learn as the film goes on, that actually didn't happen. I mean, it's not and, clear that it happened, right? Yeah. It's not clear right. that it happened, you know? And, and then as the film ends, because he uses his own memory condition against himself to give himself something to, uh, to, to live for. So he right. clearly hero and villain, together like that great dialectical thing you 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 have you have to that we are always insistent on you have to accept both intrinsically you 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 can't uh, like you're 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 damaging some aspect of the film hugely if you're going to weight one side over the other uh so in, in your in your um uh interpretation or evaluation of it so that's that's the crucial thing starting with insomnia but it's more apparent in the in the Batman films, Nolan moves away from this dialectical thing of hero and villain being protagonists, being conjoined uh, intrinsically in this way. And what ends up happening is the films, they don't critique the protagonist, but they represent a critique of the protagonist. So this is really apparent in the Batman movies where Batman becomes vilified at the end of Dark Knight. um, And there's this whole thing like, uh, not the hero we deserve, right? But the, the hero one, that we need. That we're hero that we need, and because Batman is cast out as a as a villain, um, but really but we know that he's not a villain. I exactly. mean, I think that's what yeah. that's why the representation of the critique. Your point about that is really crucial, right? Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At, for the spectator, it's not critical, right? Right. Yeah. Right. It's so so it's in and so the characters in the film, like when we know as we know as the as a spectator, like when when people are calling, uh, you know, Batman, a, a you know, a fascist or a terrorist or whatever, like, uh, I mean, this happens in the like, this is kind of this angle is a little bit taken, as I mentioned briefly, actually, in the last episode, a lot of Batman talk across our Bar- Barbenheimer episodes, yeah. mostly from me. Um, but in the Frank Miller Batman and the Dark Knight Returns, like that is the in- initial take. There are all these like talking heads on TV and they're talking about Batman and some a, you know, this uh, pinko 
liberal uh, is talking about Batman as a, you know, he's ignoring due process. He just rounds these, these, these criminals up and he does, there's no, no rights. Like he, he go, he's just a vigilante hunting these people. And so then, I mean, this is kind of the thing in the grittier Batman uh, comics is the issue isn't that he's violating people's, uh, you know, allegedly inalienable civil rights. It's that actually that he doesn't go far enough. Right. You know, and, and that does become, I think a bit of the, that, that is had Heath Ledger not died. I think you could easily see that would have been maybe where the trilogy would have gone. I mean, I do think that that still ends up being where the, the dark Knight rises ends up is that like, you know, he just rounds these people up and then the, you know, the, 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 the soft liberal court justice system, Todd just churns these people back out on the street. So right. he's not yes. really going far. So, yes. so there's this, so the critique, so, so what's our position supposed to be as a film is that actually maybe there should be an ethical exception for Batman. Maybe he should actually go farther and we should set aside these, these like, uh, these legal, uh, things shouldn't Batman be allowed to do what he wants to do without uh problems such as legality and ethics getting in the way they're just they're just clouding the whole the whole thing and so again this cr- this critique of uh so a critique of Batman is represented in the films by characters in the films they they have critiques of him and this starts to leak in to the Nolan movies from from there forward it starts with insomnia where the Al Pacino character is critiqued in the diegetically in the film, but where there's an act he makes at the end of the movie that I think we're supposed to take as, you know, he he's, is actually on the good side of things. Right. Um, you know, and I, and it starts, so it starts there. It doesn't, but it, it has, it's a full flowering, let's say with the Batman movies. And then that's kind of leaked in to every other film to some extent. Um, and we could go through them like that, but, but it's, that's, you know, it's just there. And that I, I think ends up being our, our if I'm not going to speak uh, too uh, capaciously, I think that ends up being our problem with Oppenheimer. Um, right. A lot of the film, I'll say this, the film form I think is great. And we'll talk about it. The film sense I think is retrograde for uh, a, yes. a lot of, I think I say that speaking for both, both of us. Um, and so that's, that's sort of our, my, my big setup for for Nolan and and how we we got here is there is a a a representation of a critique diegetically in the film but the film has another position and that again the last like 15 years of his cinema and I I think in no film is it may be more a problem than in this one I think that's right I think it's right and I you know I love Nolan obviously uh so it was a couple things I think that you're right that it gets to the that this this failure to see that the hero is also the enemy, I think mm-hmm. becomes, reaches its end point here because, and, and the, we, we say oftentimes we repeat this Hitchcock uh, old saw that the villain makes the picture and mm-hmm. sorry, Strauss is not, <laughs> he's not an <laughs> adequate villain to the picture. I and mean, this is what people liked about Dark Knight, I think, is that Heath Ledger really made the picture. Now, what was missing, as you pointed out, was this dialectical convergence of the Joker and Batman, you didn't see how they were really, they had, they were in some ways had this speculative identity with each other. Uh, but in Oppenheimer, you don't see that at all, right? Like mm-hmm. you see Strauss is clearly this enemy out to get Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer's trying to do, and I, you know, in this way, I don't, I think most people would, 
even be simp- I was sympathetic. You know, he's he's anti-fascist, anti-Nazi, mm-hmm. and he's he's worried that the Nazis are going to develop the atomic bomb, mm-hmm. and so he gets together this American effort to develop the atomic bomb first. I think that's presented ethically, and I think I don't really have that much of a problem with that. I think that that's that seems like a, I mean, retrospectively, I I think it's unclear whether the Nazis were politically capable of developing an atomic bomb. Say, right? say I think more that, on that is before you go on to the next point. Yeah, I think, I, really, I think really that I, I think he, and Oppenheimer makes this point subtly, but he says we have an advantage because they're anti-Semitism. But mm-hmm. I don't think he fully fleshes it out because I think Nazism, fascism has its basis in, of course, anti-Semitism, but then anti-intellectual yes. anti-Semitism. So mm-hmm. every scientist is a is is a Jew to the Nazi. So mm-hmm. I think that that I think that 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 this suspicion of science. Obviously, the Nazis developed V two rockets, so they weren't their suspicion didn't prohibit them from developing advanced weapons. Mm-hmm. But I, I I I it's interesting. So Werner Heisenberg, who was the head of the Nazi uh, nuclear program, he he it, it's it's not clear what he did. Like he 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 went to the Nazi leadership and he's like, look. It's going to cost this, 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 and we're not sure really if it's going to be successful or not. So, and they're like, "Well, I don't know if we want to throw all this funding into it." So, it's it's that's what I mean. Like, it's not clear mm-hmm. that the Nazis could have developed atomic because of this their socioeconomic political structure. So, I mean, part of me thinks I wish that I saw the I wish the movie was called Heisenberg and focused on <laughs> Heisenberg's dealings with uh Goebbels and Hitler, but uh because you think you think he he deliberately subverted the problem. I don't I think that's the blind alley. Yeah. That's a real question. I think yeah. that is a, so interestingly Niels Bohr there's actually a play and it was made into a film about this called Copenhagen. Niels Bohr and Heisenberg met and they in in Copenhagen mm-hmm. after the war had started and Bohr he was a Heisenberg had been his student mm-hmm. and Bohr had Bohr like really let him have it in this conversation. We think mm-hmm. what's fascinating about this is no there's conflicting accounts of the conversation by Heisenberg and Bohr went walked around a lake uh, mm-hmm. and just walked out in the you know in the in the natural world, because people think because Heisenberg was afraid that the Nazis were were bugging Niels Bohr's office, and he didn't want to be giving. He thought I might give away some secret, and then I'll be sent to a camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they walked out. But but the result of the fact that they had this conversation in around a lake is that we have no reliable account. Their accounts are totally conflicting. Heisenberg mm-hmm. and Oppenheimer. So That's one of the I, yeah, it's fascinating. It's this is fascinating, right? Uh, and so there's an idea that Bohr actually convinced Heisenberg to thwart the atomic effort. And, but I, that's not, no one knows for sure if that's true. But anyway, mm-hmm. so it's, it, obviously Oppenheimer couldn't know that, couldn't know what the status of the Nazi weapons program was. So I, I, again, I think his initial impulse to develop the weapon, I, I, I don't think we can be that critical. And the film isn't critical. Right. No. I think the film is very it's basically it's it's what happens after what happens after Germany surrenders, for one yeah. thing. I think that's mm-hmm. a huge thing. And then it's what it, it's it's what happens later on with the film. And I think this is what you're getting at is this that Oppenheimer is not the villain of Oppenheimer. 
He's in, right. in any way, I think. I think there's, look, he has regrets. Sure. But, which you pointed out to me, it's weird that the film was based on a book called Prometheus, American, American Prometheus. Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. Because Prometheus isn't punished because he has regrets, and he's certainly not punished by the humans to no. whom he gives fire. He's punished by the gods for right. giving humans to. So it's a weird, it's a weird connection. I I think I, it's, it's strange. It's hard, yeah, it's and the film be, the film begins with with the reminding everyone the myth of Prometheus of being tortured for giving fire to humanity, and so you the conclusion you have to draw. He wasn't tortured by humans for trying to take fire back, which is the sort of the thing that happens in the trajectory of the film is that after the two hour mark, after the completion of the the Trinity test, um, right. like there are really two films here. And I think that right. the, the first two hours of that film, it seems like it could be heading in a direction where it is yeah. like those earlier Nolan films that you mentioned where the hero yeah. could be the villain. I think the first two hours, it completely contains that. And then in the last yeah. hour, I don't it's not there at all. Um, I mean, in the I think in the director's cut, the it's only two hours, right? Like, it's like the film ends. <laughs> it would just right? be it would end there. But the, yeah, so the yeah, right. The, the because in the last hour, again, if we're pursuing the Prometheus thing, after giving the atomic weapons to to humankind, like what he tries to do, I, I, the film represents this, is to either blunt their impact or to some way kind of take them away, and that is the the regret thing, and that isn't. I mean, I don't know. It's not not really a useful metaphor, the Prometheus thing, anymore. Uh, Utterly because misleading. Of that, because because Utterly he because who is, is is it that he's tortured by himself? And and there are all these there are these things where where um yeah the, the, the film is so big it's it's, it's really it's we, you know we're just we're trying to like t- take a bite in one place and then that decides where the next bite is. So that's like that's how we're trying to trying to manage this uh, this whole thing. But the um th- this idea of w- what is what tortures. Uh, uh, I was about to say Heisenberg. That's kind of funny. What tortures yeah. Oppenheimer uh, is, is I think a question of, if we're going to go with the Prometheus thing, which is what we're led with. That's how the film begins. Yeah. That's the, the book that it's based on because he's not really hounded by the public. He's a hero to the public. And he's really, it really only seems like politically he's hounded by the one guy, the Downey character Strauss. Right. Um, and so is it that he's, he tortures himself. And there's an interesting thing. If, if, if the guilt or the regret is what he is tortured by, I, I, I don't think the the film plays that out. I don't think it plays it out ex- exactly on that point. And if it does, there's a, sort of a there's a, there's a there's a um I, I don't know semiotically I guess maybe want to put it or just like for for the images earlier in the movie it seems as though what he's actually tortured by is uh quantum physics. He's tortured by yeah. the theory of it. Like there are all these, and this is why I say like formally there's something radical going on. Is that it's pretty great. There's it's pretty great. Formally, just, it's great. Yeah. There are just these cuts. Like it is so fast. This is a, if anybody hasn't seen the movie, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what my recommendation actually is, but like at some point. It's the spoiler that, that they dropped the bomb. <laughs> the <spoiler laughs> no, I don't think that's not exactly where I was going. No, the, the, I don't know what to recommend to, to, to see it or not exactly, but it is worth like for a three hour film, it, like the pace of it is pretty breakneck. And there yeah. are a couple things that I maybe want to get to about this that I don't, that there are, I don't know, maybe opportunities for the film to have done something that it didn't end up doing. And it's always tricky with this because I, I, I never, there's a fine line between like the film suggests this thing and it doesn't carry it to the end w- versus you saying something that the film didn't do. So you're criticizing it for something that it's not. 
And I think that like there's there's a fine it's line. It's a terrible critique. I agree totally. Yeah, yeah. There's a fine you, you line. You can't do that. You yeah. can't do that. So I so we're trying to trying to to um to to be on the what is shown in the f- film <laughs> mise en scene. What is shown in the film and, and where 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 does it carry some things to the end and it maybe drops others. One thing that is uh given pretty early is that he is if not tortured by by physics by these just like these these thoughts these these ideas of like fission and fusion that just like preoccupy his mind he's at least i don't know if you want to put it like like tortured haunted uh beset i i don't know like like that would probably beset would be on the on the more anodyne side but like you might say like haunted by the other but it just the film represents like when he closes his eyes he just sees and hears these uh well quantum reality basically yeah right yeah Yeah. exactly and and that and so that's so the film does this interesting thing again with this editing which is like i say it's a breakneck like there was like almost no pause between one character saying something it's like a gilmore girls episode there's like not a pause between someone saying something And the next person saying something, it's yeah. like, it is incredible. Um, and then, and the scenes are really quick and it's, there's just a lot of motion up until the point that the Trinity bomb is tested. So you could say formally, there's maybe this argument that there was not time for Oppenheimer to think there was not, there was no pauses. There was no, no spaces, even, even during the gratuitous sex scene, they're still talking, you know, <laughs> right. like that. So, well, the talking was him reading from the, Bhagavad Gita, right? Like, yes. Not prompted by, by her. Right. So that, yeah. 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 Right. 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 I'm. I'm become death. To, just, just destroy destroy world. world. Right. Right. So. So. So you could see formally, perhaps there is this argument that he didn't have time to to think about the consequences, and until the, he didn't have t- time to think the consequences of the theory until he saw it, because as they say repeatedly in the film, theory only takes you so far. And then the the Trinity test is a success, and the bombs get taken away from him. You, you see this like like a, like a child. They're literally taken away. Literally taken away from him, yeah. and then they're used by Truman and and the and the U.S. government to drop and kill. Uh, how, how, what is the 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 from? I, it's I think it's I think you know it's hard to it's really hard to calculate because the the number of people that died immediately, and then there's the people that after. died. Yeah. In the in the soon aftermath, and then there's people that died in the long aftermath. So, yeah. but I think, I think Hiroshima. I think it's. I think people say two hundred thousand maybe okay. is the. That's the most. I don't know how to use this word like this, but the most liberal. Oh, no, most I don't. Liberal. I think. Oh, I, I think the most conservative is is closer to a hundred, and then I think. Mm. I think it gets pretty. Well, I think it gets up to four hundred something thousand, but uh, mm. but you know, hundred, two hundred thousand, something like that. But, but like whatever, when you're at that number, that's a just humongous number <laughs> of people. So, in and so, you could say from the formal perspective, because of how it's cut, that it's like he had to do this because he's you know he's Jewish. The Nazis are developing you know yeah. uh, weapons alongside the U.S. Have, has to do the same thing, and then the the you know Hitler kills himself, and the Nazis are out of the war, but the war is still ongoing with Japan. So this be, this thing started, and it had to be moved to its inexorable conclusion. I'm trying to speak fast to give you the sense of the film. So then, yes. it, like he he does it, and then the bomb drops, and then this is probably the best I think the best moment for the film. Then there's breath, and it's silent, and it's just reaction finally there's like the scenes breathe and then in the scenes after that when he's talking about 
the success and he's like sort of, I guess, contemplating and grappling with the horror of it. It's like he can't breathe, you know, and the sound drops out again. And there's finally like spaces in this film where there really weren't because of the way that it was cut up to that point. And that there, that is the, I don't know. I want to say that's the bones of a critique of him. And I, it doesn't really play out that way because of this whole thing with his security clearance and this sham investigation into his entire life. And then this thing with Strauss, who's trying to become a member of the cabinet for whose White House is it? Uh, it's, is it Eisenhower? Eisenhower's. Okay, because the critiques. This is as I, this is well, why not even just a member of the cabinet, Ryan. He wants to become Commerce Secretary. Okay. I mean, just, isn't that to me that was the like we get, we go from the sublime to the ridiculous, <laughs> right? I mean, like in a, in a, in a you just want to go sense. who. Gives a Who shit. gives a shit? Right, right. Yeah. right. And right. even the security clearance, like I just yeah. don't care. And then, of course, is Strauss? Oh no, he might not yeah. become commerce secretary. I mean, where? Like, okay, just as you pointed out, we drop the bomb on hundred, two hundred thousand people and kill them, mm-hmm. and then we get to is Strauss going to become commerce secretary or not? Yeah. I mean, it's just like the and that's the climax of the film. So, yeah. okay. And, and I understand. He, and when he's yeah, rejected, well, I think this is important. When he is re- ultimately rejected because of uh, some junior senator from uh, Massachusetts, <laughs> I think he goes, oh, I've taught him forgetting his name. I think he goes by uh, J- John F. Kennedy. It's, <laughs> you know, and then obviously I saw it here in New England and everyone was like, oh, you know, laughed. Fearing, because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is infuriating. But um, so, and, and he leads this like little, this, this push against him, uh, against Strauss being confirmed. And then Strauss, utters, I think, the most lucid critique of Oppenheimer in the film, which is that Oppenheimer only wanted to be known for Trinity and not for Hiroshima. Hiroshima and, or Nagasaki. And, Nagasaki. Yeah. And, and, but that, the, that critique is in the... And then uh, for the sham investigation into Oppenheimer's life, the guy, I don't even remember his name, the guy who's heading the investigation says, why did you have moralistic qualms about, you know, nuclear energy or atomic energy in uh, 1949, but not in 1947. And again, it's this whole thing. This like, where is the critique coming from? It's coming from the villains in the film. And, right. and it's, but it, not the, not villains who are redeemed sympathetic. or sympathetic. Right. It's villains right. who the, the film is rejecting. And I want to go back. You said, you said this is how the Hitchcock line is, is typically said is that the better the villain, the better the picture. What he says exactly. Cause I don't know why I did this. I looked this up like a few weeks ago. Okay. His, ex- his exact line is the more successful the villain, the better the picture. And I think because it's Hitchcock, I want to read into that a little bit, which this is, is from, villain- by the way, just, just to clarify for everyone, this is from the interviews with Francois Truffaut, which is yes. some of the best, uh, filmic discussion ever put to print, I think. Ever. Anyway. Ever. ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's worth it's worth really harping on that word successful because it, it has to mean success in the film. Like, I think you have to, you, like, yes. the villain has to be successful in the film. It can't be a cartoon villain always falling on his face, never doing anything, never completing any project. It's just like, oh, he gives the big evil villain speech and then he always fails. Like, that doesn't make for good drama. That doesn't make for a good movie. The villain has to be at least minimally successful. I get, you know, we've talked about it before. Speed is a really good example of this. The Dennis Hopper villain yeah. is quite successful multiple times in the movie multiple which is times what, right. which is multiple what, times. what what helps to make that that picture um yeah. and i you can't i don't think you can say along that axis that strauss is a very successful villain nor is the 
the the committee, the prosecutor, and the right. prosecutor, right. because it's a sham thing anyway, and it's the security clearance, and again, it's these things that's like, what do they really matter? Um, like, like. I don't know that it, that the I, film I, makes clear that the security clearance was like really personal to Robert J. Oppenheimer's like identity. It, it doesn't. It, I don't know. Like so. Well, I think someone said to me that the security clearance would allow him to continue his campaign against the development of the hydrogen bomb, but eh, that seems so like just okay. Is that, is, where, become is that, a that fit- seems non-diegetic to me. Like that's yeah, I don't. I think that's really a projection. And the yeah. other thing I would say is. If you're going to go that route, can't you say he would have been better off to lose the security clearance, become a physics professor at Stanford and lead or at Berkeley and yeah. lead a bunch of Berkeley students, you know, 10 years before Mario yeah. Savio to do sit-ins and 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 go 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 limp and and resist the you know, resist the whatever what do they call it the a the military industrial establishment. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, no, yeah, I know yeah. that, but I mean oh, the, yeah. the military industrial establishment. Like that, mm-hmm. I just think like, why wouldn't that be a more effective, like, look, we have Oppenheimer leading our movement. I mean, yeah. he was the one that developed it. He knows how terrible it is. I just don't understand why losing the security clearance is such a, other than it's this personal blow to him. And 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 this is, I think, something you said to me, that the problem with the biopic as a genre, and it, You've named one good one, but it's, it's just a funny one. Yeah. There's not a good, serious biopic ever made in human history, right? There's just not. And and I think, I mean, the musical biopic is probably the nadir of this, but um, <laughs> I think that I think that the 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 you can say what your one is and just my one is a well well I mean it does challenge okay. that it, it is a musical but it is it's a comedy Walk Hard the Dewey Cox story that is the <laughs> okay there we go the one acceptable uh, uh, biopic. the one acceptable biopic yeah. but the problem is I think that the biopic mm-hmm. ends up turn you there's a there's a Stockholm syndrome that develops yes. with the the subject of the biopic by with the director and so even if they you start out. I don't think he wanted to be totally critical of Oppenheimer, but he started out mm-hmm. wanting to make a certain critique of Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. and then that just gets it gets it gets lost. I think in the, as yeah. the film goes along, and I know friends of mine have said, "Well, the film is really the, the immediately after the bomb goes off, he's giving this speech, and he can't even finish the speech because you right. hear this stomping, and it's mm-hmm. and it's the 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 the, the crowd gets the the." crowd that developed the bomb gets overcome with this jingoistic fervor. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's be critical. But I think in the end, Oppenheimer is redeemed because he's a, that offends him, right? That offends right, him. Right, and right, I think right, right. he, like he, he sees the error of his ways and the, the problems with what he did, but it never ends up being a critique of him. It always ends up being to his credit, I think. Well, I mean, in no scene is it more, I think a problem or more evident than again in that, in the second huge part of the movie, which is the last hour, than when he attends some, it's like either a lecture or a, a documentary where there's uh he, we don't know what he's seeing because the camera's on him. And so there's two things I want to talk about here. So the, we're just watching the camera on him, which is slowly moving toward him from a bit of an elevated position, kind of coming down at an angle. And he's watching this presentation on the damage of the bombs in Japan and yeah. when like you can kind of hear like a slide click and then you hear the description of what it did to the uh, to the cities and to the people. And he just hangs his head 
in shame. And the thing about the, the thing about the way that is framed, and this is like we're, we've been talking about, like I, I think the, the the conversation to this point that we've had about like the security clearance and the uh, Strauss and the Commerce Secretary, like like why are you, why are these guys spending so much time about this? Well, the film spends a lot of time talking about it, and if it's striking you as like maybe like maybe you and I shouldn't be talking about those parts of the film. Well, the film shouldn't have been so much about those parts. Like I yeah. mean, because yeah. we're too bomb. There's like a giant, like there's such a thing, like the that. You you said this to me, so this is your point that like to foreclose Japan, iconography in an iconographic I guess way would be the phrase of, to, that I'm stumbling over in this movie is just a, a a giant problem. So like and it and it and it is manifest in the scene where we see Robert Oppenheimer hanging his head in shame for what he was a part of, but we don't see those images. We actually like what happens in uh, Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki is not rep that's not even represented in the film. And so what is our position to Oppenheimer is that like it, it solicits, I think it, it, it solicits sympathy is what happens with the, with the way like we're like we're cause the camera is elevated. Maybe we're in this position to judge him. We've seen him being judged in this film. And we know how fundamentally unfair it is. So the, the film is kind of, again, through its structure and through how, it positions these d different scenes and the different parts about it is that it, it's making this like who would want to justify their whole life is said several times in this movie. And I think that like this idea of us judging him is uh, made to be not the point that maybe we shouldn't judge him that like this should be beyond judgment because it's a, what a terrible decision for anyone to have to make. It seems a lot closer to the position of, of the film when the, like again, if, the the Heisenberg thing that you brought up is not presented as a possibility, you know, and the fact that the bombs being dropped after Germany was already out of the war, which was the initial, you know, push to even begin the development of the program in the first place, it's not really talked about beyond a, a couple lines that it needs to be seen through to the end. And then the part about Russia joining the war and Stalin joining the war being a, a bigger uh, a reason for Japan uh, leaving it surrendering then then the like that's not also not, not even brought up as a possibility even, right like so, again yeah, yeah we we don't want to say oh the film didn't show this but and so that we're critical of that for them but but it showed the other possibilities so it it is it, it does represent the idea that the bomb brought it a speedy end to the war right and saved yeah. the possibility of evasion yes. invasion right yes. so once you broach that territory, then I think you can't, then it's fair game to say, well, wait a minute, why isn't at least the possibility of the fact that Stalin's entry into the war on August 9th, the same day that the bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, that that actually is what triggered Japanese surrender, not the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and right? You, like I think, and if you yeah. wanted to, well, Todd, well, it's on this point. Like we're not making a historic, like like we're are making a historical point. But even in the context of the film, if what you if what Nolan wanted to do was to treat his subject in the way that he treated other subjects in the in the past, then that would have been brought up, and that would have been a part of like like have a moment where you know. Uh, where he has to like Killian Murphy's great in this movie. Like he, like I think that's yeah. an, an impossible kind of yeah, role, it's hard. Yeah. you know, yeah. and, and he's really great. So give him the moment where someone explains to him that th this maybe didn't need to be done. 
you know, and, yeah. and not just his guilt that it was done, you know? Right, like, like, like it's that, not even the number of people killed, it's yeah. that every civilians too. one of like, them... This is a civilian target, like that's that needs to be... Right, I mean, right, yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> that's a whole thing, right? Like, mm. they had this possibility of either dropping the bomb in the ocean or on an uninhabited island, right? Or attacking a military target or attacking two civilian targets, and they chose the the last of those options and, and okay, he's not necessarily culpable for the targeting, but he gave them the weapon. And, you know, it would be interesting. There are all these kind of alternative possibilities, right? Like he could have, once Hitler surrendered, or sorry, once Germany surrendered and after Hitler killed himself Mm -hmm. there, you could have, he could have got the scientists together. Of course, there are certain ones like Teller who would have said, no, I'm going to keep working on the bomb. But he could have said, like, let's get together and stop, stop the, stop our work on this. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was the, he had such an influence on these other scientists bringing together. One can imagine that he could have gotten quite a few of them to, to bag out. So like, why not have him feel guilty for that or feel guilty for this other possibility? Because the film is an exploration of his guilt. So that's yeah. not, it's not like we're saying, oh, it should talk about this thing that it's not, it is talking about that. But yeah. it's just the, the motivations that it gives for his guilt are, they're not even, I don't even think they're, they're, they're proper motivations for feeling guilty. Because if that's all he did, then I'm not mm-hmm. even sure that he should feel guilty about it. Well, and this gets into the, to the, to the big problem with the, with the biopic as a, as a film, which is the, it sacrifices. I mean, this, they almost all do this. I mean, it, I, I, to some extent, and this is also the problem is that they're 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 often criticized for n- not going far enough in the direction I'm about to explain. The biopic suffers uh, from privileging accuracy over truth, and that's a big, big, big problem with the genre. Huge problem. Like, like yeah. there, there's, you know, okay, the to go to uh, to Shakespeare, <laughs> to, <laughs> to to load the example, of course, but yes. to go to Shakespeare, um, uh, Richard II, um. In that play, uh, Henry Bolingbroke uh, usurps throne, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want because to to in 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 both Elizabethan England when the film would have been filmed. That's really funny by me. Uh, the play would have been performed, <laughs> and the and when during the time that the action actually happened in the in the past, uh, the greatest sin anyone could commit was the sin of usurpation, usurping the throne. Why? Yeah. Because the, the king uh, or queen uh, as it happened is, is it's a divine right. Okay. So, which means so you're God, challenging God and you're sense. challenging God. You're when you usurp the throne and you could, and you kill, you commit regicide. That means you have selected regicide. That means something to somebody, Todd, I promise yeah. that, <laughs> that, that um, you are saying, you know, better than God. So the, yeah. the the just the biggest greatest sin. And so in the play, Shakespeare has Henry Bolingbroke acutely aware of this. And so there's there the scene toward the toward the end of the play, where he he is he's he's trying to get Richard to to give him the crown just to hand it over. And it's like there, I I know I've seen I think it might be in the blocking. I know I've seen some performances where like he's like kind of taking it off his head and just like like he's gonna give it to him and he needs to pulls it back. You know, and and yeah. and so there's this like this 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 tug of war, and then what happens is a uh, foot soldier 
uh, in the play of Bolingbroke's here's the problem that he's getting with, with actually becoming the crown. And he goes and he goes off and he kills Richard. And this yeah. is a calamity to Henry. And it's, it kicks off the uh, beginning events of Henry four part one, which is uh, Henry it, it, now Henry four, uh, Henry Bolingbroke plans this uh, expedition to go to Jerusalem so that he can, you know, clean his soul. But also, right. there's a problem. The last time that a king was in absentia of the throne was when Richard II uh, went off on some not kingly duty, and then he, with his army, Henry Bolingbroke, was able to usurp the throne. <laughs> so he knows right. that's a problem. And can he trust his son Hal, who's a bit of a playboy, but uh, he will rise when men least think he will? You know, so there's this whole <laughs> right. thing going on there. That that's not how history played out, and it's not because Shakespeare didn't know it because he was publicly educated he knew what good drama was and it's not good drama to do the play where Henry Bolingbroke shows up with Northumberland and an army at his back and just takes the throne which is and that that's what happened you know right uh, it wasn't without any it was a rundle sorry yeah exactly with right. no conscience yeah it like yeah. that so and also of course it was the current it was Elizabeth's great 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 you know so politically great grandfather so to portray him in a better light that was probably politically expedient for him expedient. a little bit Right. But there is a there is a truth that com- comes out of that. Like you could even say in the actual negation of history, it does show in stark relief that what Henry Bolingbroke did was beastly in actual history because in the play is far, far more thoughtful. You know, so right. you can kind of play that angle with it. Whereas Oppenheimer... So Shakespeare chooses, yeah. just to clarify, Shakespeare yes. chooses truth over accuracy. He cho- yes, he chooses truth yeah. over accuracy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Every, like every time, which is why, like, you know, there's another not as as a intricate example I could have given, which is like the clocks in Julius Caesar. It's not because he was unaware that, that there, there were clocks in, you know, ancient Rome, like, you know, like or the, the, the constant referencing to time for people who had sundials like it like it's because it increases the drama. It's not because he was an idiot. So like because the, the, the truth is more interesting you know, at yeah. the end than to be accurate, you know? Um, and I think that that is something that this film suffers from. Is this, it's remarkably it's, accurate. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. remarkably accurate and not yeah. that true. I mean, <laughs> not that true. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty funny. Sadly. That, yeah. Th- that yeah. Is, that, I think that, that that's really good. I mean, the other thing I would say, you know, uh, on this, on this thing, I think that the, uh, one way that it's not so accurate is the and this I just read something in the Washington Post about this this morning actually mm-hmm. that uh, we're recording this early so don't look at the Washington Post today no no look at it this comes out <laughs> uh, but it was about the precisely about the women involved in uh-huh. there we go in the Trinity test and there that was it was a pretty remarkable number of women at, who had to overcome obviously prejudice in the in the field of physics that that. Uh, by people that thought this is not women's work or mathematics, but mm-hmm. some of the mathematical calculations were done. It was women who were the ones doing them. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of, I mean, not kind of, it's pretty minimized by the film. There's one and woman then, who works on the project. In the one film. woman and she had just pretty minimal presence. Very minimal. Yes. And then the, and then and the, the, the role of women in the, it's, it's, it's very classic women as the support or, yeah, what it may be the, the the thing that pushes the man in a certain direction, like it, it may, and even even in it even tempts the man. I think depending on how you mm. view communism, right? Like his yeah. the Florence Pugh figure, who's his first 
maybe his first lover. I don't know. We don't see a lover before her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she tempts him toward communism, right? So down the garden path, I think the film, and she's a very presented. She's naked almost the entire every time she appears. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. We, we, I think it's true. Uh, and and she's a temptress. I mean, that's how the film uh, thematizes her. And then his spouse, played by Emily Blunt, she's she is a totally secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, St- Tammy Wynette standing by her man, even when we get this visualization of his affair at the trial, she still stands by her man and says, "I knew about this all." Th-. She didn't. I knew yeah. about this all the time, and it didn't matter to me. Uh, so that. You know, it's the, the the depiction of the women. I think is where it, it, it it's neither true nor accurate. Yeah, and that, I again, good, yeah. we I don't want to criticize the film for what it doesn't show. But the thing is, it does show these women figures, and it shows them in a certain way that 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 completely makes them secondary in in their contribution. And I want to. I actually would more or less defend Nolan on this question in prior films, not Dunkirk, obviously, but in some of the prior films, I think Memento is a good example because for one thing, the Carrie and Moss figure is very complex. And I mean, she's both hero and villain herself at at, at different times. Uh, But then the Leonard Shelby's spouse is in a certain way, the the only hero of the, the only, the positive figure in the film, even though she's in it a minimal amount of and time, but I think that that, yeah. in a flashback, but I don't think that that's necessarily a damning thing, right? Like, I think that someone cannot be within the field of representation and still dominate the mise-en-scene because yeah. as an absence, right? And I think right. that that, but, but I just don't think that happens. And I don't think it happens, of course, in Dunkirk. I don't think it, ha- I think in some, Interstellar, we could talk about because that's a, yeah. That, that's it's a think, it's a question definitely it's a question uh, Inception I think is a problem uh, yeah but but uh, but in this film I think it's a real problem like I think yeah. I think that this I I don't think it's a knee jerk feminist critique I think it's a really good feminist critique of the film actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially when you couple it with the you know the thing you said a little bit earlier, which is like the women figures used as support, and also the thing that spurred on the uh, the the man character to do something. There, there's um, especially with Florence Pugh's character. So there's this um, there's this tro- I don't I wonder if you've heard this, but this comes from comic books, specifically from a lot of the comics, the era of comics that were influential for Nolan on in the in the uh, Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, and I, I can't remember if it comes from the flash or, or not, but it's called women in refrigerators. Have you ever heard this Todd? I have before? heard that. Yeah. You've heard yeah. this before. And so li- for listeners who haven't, like you can look this up. I mean, it's on like, I'm not the biggest fan of uh TV tropes dot or like this kind of thing, because I, just as a quick aside, like there, there is like a corner of the internet that like counts up how many tropes there are in something to decide whether it's good or it's bad. And I think <laughs> right. that is fundamentally useless. As a, le- yeah. as a as a kind of critique because identifying something is not the same as interpretation. I just, it's just those right. are, those are, or counting it up, accumulating tropes is not the same as a reading. I I, I think they're very different because because you, you could have, say Citizen Kane sucks because it has a hundred different tropes than it yeah uses or whatever uh, yeah, right yeah right you yeah, could do that yeah. or like there's this there, I, I see this line all the time like get passed around on on reddit or, or twitter it's like robert uh, roger ebert was asked uh, once uh, to name a film with no cliches and he said my dinner with andre now i maybe 
I don't I don't know. I'd have to really think about it. Um, I, I, last time I saw it was like a couple a few years ago. But like I, the fact that it, whether whatever your evaluation of that film is, whether you think it, it's good or bad, like radical or uh, time wasting or whatever it is, I don't think the fact that it doesn't have cliches is the reason for why it's successful at what it does or doesn't do. I just I I'm opposed to that. But anyway, I'm in favor uh, of cliches. I'm in favor of cliches, right? well, especially as a especially as a way. What, why do you think I like Hallmark films, Todd? Like, because yeah. you can tr- like they don't all certainly they don't all do this, but you can transcend the the cliche and you can use it uh, so that everyone knows it as like a kind of like a handshake, right? To like to yeah. bring you in to whatever's happening, yeah. and then you can use that to do. So anyway, there's a lot of complex yeah. things you can do with yeah. cliches and with tropes. But here's the thing with women yeah. in refrigerators and why it's named this is literally. Because I, I, I could be wrong on the timeline of this, but my memory was this occurred during the DC Comics time where, like I said in the last episode, when, we were talking about, uh, when I was talking about Batman, uh, it was the uh, no, no, no wives, no children. Like, no relationships. Right. Like These characters can't be happy even for a second. And there was something that happened where I guess the writers wrote themselves into a, a corner where the the Flash or whatever like actually was happy and was settled down with his girlfriend and wow. everything was fine and then came home and didn't see his girlfriend and found her killed and shoved in the refrigerator in the refrigerator to, oh, okay. so that he, so that would kick good. on the next part of the, the arc go. and sometimes sometimes I, I think that um, this uh, people reference this trope I, like sometimes I don't think every time that uh, a, a woman a woman is killed in a TV series or a film means that they are being fridged. Some people do this, but like yeah. I do think you have to have. Um, I do think when you kill a character in a, a film, the that it is on the film and the filmmaker to like that had to be especially like especially if the story is going to go in a different direction because of that character's death and it is a woman or it is a queer, you know, there's also the, the on the yeah. queer side of it, like bury your yeah. gaze. That's also, so it's, it's yeah. the same thing there that you have to, if you're going to do that, you have to make sure I, I would say like the film has to make the argument that that had to happen for the rest of the film to happen. Not, it was convenient so the rest of the film could happen. You see what I'm saying? Like that, that, that distinction. Totally agree. Like there, there needs to be, the, yeah. like, it, like if you're going to do that thing, if you are going to engage in that trope, like it better damn well be justified. And so instead, what you have with the Florence Pugh character is you just see her die. And I guess there's this thing where I wasn't sure. Tell me what you're reading on this was, was in Robert imagining it because she drowns herself or there's a thing where he imagines her being killed with a kill. I think hand. that's right. I think okay. the film, I think there is a conspiracy theory about her death. Maybe it's even, I mean, it's a theory, but that, that she was killed by the, you know, state to state authority forces. Okay. Right. And I, I think that the film is representing that. Yes. Okay. I think so too. Doesn't that need to be again, to avoid the fridging thing. Doesn't that hand have to be either the gloved hand and then maybe flash. Cause no one's done things like this. Doesn't it maybe have to flash to Robert's hand? Like, cause he put Wouldn't that be in that great? position. Wouldn't that be great? You know great? what I mean? Like, and, again, and, you know, if let's you're going it, to do that, if you're, I yeah. mean, this happened anyway in history, but if you're going to do that, then to do the thing that Nolan has done in other films that like, he, that, that would give some of the responsibility that is omitted by the film, not including what happened in Japan again, in its Absolutely. iconography. Yeah. Absolutely. You wouldn't even have to do it with him actually killing her himself. Right. It could no. just be gloved hand to gloved hand. Right. 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 Like, yeah, like what he, cut. like something, yeah. something that he, exactly like something that is 
you know, you make it so that he's wearing a watch or whatever. And then one time you, you know, you see the gloved hand yeah. and then you see it with the hand with the watch, you know, like there's yeah. a lot of different ways to do that. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with that. And I think that, look, she was a, I thought her performance was really good and I thought she could have been a really, I mean, what if she was made a more central yeah. focus of the film, right? Like, the, yeah. like I kind of like the three different temporalities where we're going mm-hmm. through. And, and, and ju- as you said, it kept the, f- and the, the f- cutting between them was really, was really rapid and, and, mm-hmm. and really kept it going. And you could, you, you got to the end of the film, it's three hours. It didn't feel like a three hour film. I don't no, think. It felt like a two hour film. Really. Two hour film. Right. Yeah. Uh, Although I'm still in favor of the tight 90 minute film, well, that's uh, right. Which is course. why it's why film noir is so great because right. 90 minutes is is the cap for a film noir, right? Bing, like bang, detour, boom, you're out of there. Yeah. Detour is a cool 70. It's oh. it's barely over 70, right? Every, no, really, no, yeah, yeah. It's I think every, everyone knows it's not over 70 because you can teach it in a whole class. You know, you can teach it five minutes twice twice a week. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There you absolutely. go. Right. Yeah, it's amazing. So uh, as a just, I, I think Detour's amazing as a film, but temporally it's really nice. Yes. Uh, but I think wouldn't it have been such a more interesting film if the other things had, e- like we're seeing maybe this interaction with Florence Pugh that led him, that could have led him in this other direction, but instead he maybe betrayed her and went and then developed the bomb and like, or, and then of course, I mean, what I would say is there something in the aftermath should be in Japan, not in, not in the U S but okay. But again, I think this is the, the trap of the, the trap of the biopic, right? Like you Mm -hmm. can't, like if you're making a biopic of Oppenheimer, how do you, how do you justify a third of the film taking place in Japan or even, even the, I think it'd be even hard. I think he was thinking, I have to show Oppenheimer's reaction to what happens in Japan, not mm-hmm. what not actually what happens. happens in Japan. But right? this is the, I gave you this example and I think, I know I'm again, maybe this is, a, is loaded because we're talking about a great, <laughs> a great film. Uh, I think it's, um, um, oh my God, I'm blowing her name. Charlotte Zer- Zerline. I'm not sure that I, I think I'm not saying the, the last name properly, but it's the gimme shelter, the rock documentary about the Altamont concert. The about Rolling the Stones. Stones did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the stones. And the famous thing that happens there, if you don't know, is that a uh, member of Hell's Angels killed uh, a, a, a just a concert goer who was black. And the Hell's Angels, biker gang, racist, like that was, it, he was stabbed to death, this this uh, this black man. who was just like, I think, like, the it, as you can see, like, the Hell's Angel guy, like, it just was kind of, just like, give me a reason to stab you. Like, that's like, that's kind of the way that this thing happened. But, you know, the Stones don't know this. The other there are other bands. I think Jefferson Airplane was there. I forget who else in in Altamont in um I think that's the Bay Area, right in in California. And uh, I don't know, but yeah. Okay. Well, let's just say that uh, I'm probably okay. wrong. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> okay. I still, you know, I lived okay. there for four years now, and I don't know the de- geography very well up and down the coast. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the climax of the film is not the is not the man being stabbed to death. What the climax of the film is is that the filmmakers, like, because they were filming the they didn't know what it was going to be. They were just filming the the concert and just like what was going to happen. They were going to make a movie about it. But the film filmmakers show the footage back to Jagger. And so Mick Jagger is watching it. And what he's watching is he's watching himself on stage, watching what happened and not handling the crowd. Like not like, like, and he sees himself in the image of this man being killed. And, but, and you, you already saw that as a spectator watching the movie 
go through linearly. And then you see the later image of Jagger watching what we all saw. And he just looks like he's, it's the most sympathy I've ever had for Mick Jagger, who I think is a bit of a, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what, I don't know what I think. I, I just think he's, he's a, uh, yeah, I don't really like Jack. Yeah. I don't he, like a bit of a tool yeah. perhaps might be the word, <laughs> but like, but, um, the, but, but in that, like you can see in his face that he sees, this is a little bit my fault. I, a I bit have, fault. I have responsibility here and he didn't anywhere near, you know, have the culpability that Robert Oppenheimer does for what, what happened to Japan. And I just think that it was in that I just I always go back I, I, since I saw the movie, like I keep going back to that, that scene where Oppenheimer is seeing what happened in Japan. And I just think for us not to see what he saw, we can't have the reaction that the viewer of Gimme Shelter has to Jagger. That's because that's we point. haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we know it. So we're just so whatever. I I just think it's one of those things that like is so horrible to remember like from American history that it just gets downplayed, you know, in, 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 in just so for just to go. So, through. so often, doesn't it? I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 I mean, you say we know it, but I don't think, I don't think the wide world really, I don't think those images are widely diffused. Like yeah. I think we have a lot of access to the images and these appear in films all the time. I just saw operation, Finale, which is a, about the Mossad's abduction of, of Eichmann and to bring him to trial. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of footage of the camps, right? And, mm. and I think we have a lot of access to footage of, the, of, of at least the liberation of the camps, right? Like there's no, obviously there's no footage of the, of the, the gas being released in the gas chamber mm-hmm. or the, in the crematoria. But there is in these images of the of what the camps were like when they were liberated by the Allies. But there, there's no I, as far as I, I mean, I've seen images, but they're not nearly as 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 widely diffused in the in the culture. I don't think the images mm-hmm. of of mm-hmm. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So I think that that's. I mean, part of it is because of there's a Japanese sense of shame that we were even attacked in this way so that they like the images for a long time were thought of as offensive to the Japanese themselves but I don't think that's the case anymore and I also so I I don't get it really because I think there is almost an imperative to show those images precisely because they're not as widely diffused yeah 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 Todd I agree completely I wanted I want to give you the the argument that I think is in the film again from the form and okay. I, so this is what I think the film thinks, why it doesn't do that. Because there's not a, I did, I've, I've didn't rewatch it. Cause that I, although I got to tell you very quickly, I was able to see the film for free because I went to this theater here in uh, Concord. And the second I got out of, this was like a, I, this was like a joke. The second I got out of my car to walk into the theater, I'm not kidding. Two busloads of teenagers were let out to go see Barbie. And I thought like, yeah. And I thought like, Oh, of course they're with some program and they must've bought the tickets in advance. No, no, Todd. (laughs) Everybody individually had to buy their own. They had to buy their own tickets. I was there. I was there a cool eight minutes early. I thought I got plenty of time to get a ticket, get a popcorn, whatever, go to the bathroom. It's going to be a long movie, blah, 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 blah. 
Um, I had no time. And so I was just w- walking around the theater trying to buy a ticket online, like on my phone. And I was trying to get like good reception or whatever in the building. And I realized that I was walking through the entire theater and there was not a single person who worked there that I was running into. So I just went outside of the building. I looked online what, cause it didn't show you inside the theater. What, uh, screening room, right? What had yeah, each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just looked it up. It was said it was in eight. I was walked right in. I walked past both huge lines, and I just walked into the theater, and I saw the so, movie. So, so Oppenheimer but, made ten dollars less. Yes, than it really it, did. Yeah, it okay. did. But yeah. Um. So anyway, I. <laughs> so I, I. I haven't. So I haven't. So that's just a brief aside. I haven't seen the movie twice, but I am in remembering it, and I could be misremembering. Um. Because, because Todd, can, can't you really only remember what didn't happen to you? I mean, I think that, that <laughs> you and I both think that. So the right. so, but in remembering it, there's not a single scene in the entire movie in which either Killy Murphy as Robert Oppenheimer he, that he's not in it, nor if he isn't in it, he's not the subject of discussion. You understand yeah. what I mean? So he's yeah. in every scene, and if he's not in the scene, he is being talked about, and I think that I think that the argument from the film form about why is there nothing about the, do we see the result of, of this? Why do we see nothing in Japan? Why is there not a Japanese person in the entire film? I think what the film is arguing is that like, this is, it's it's in the title. This is about Oppenheimer. Yeah. That's, that's what this film is about. And so to, to, to do, to do the, um, the result, even though it's inextricably tied that's doing something else. And I think, I think it comes back to the point about the biopic being this uh, genre concerned with accuracy over truth. You know what I mean? To, that would be a move toward truth to, yeah. uh, of course, to include Japan. And I think that the film form as well as the film sense to, you know, to be Eisenstein about it is telling you that um, that's not, what this this film is going to do? That's what I think. The, again, I'm yeah not saying I that because I'm supporting it, but I think that's no, what, I agree. That's what the film I think is you're saying. Right. I think yeah. you're right about that. I think that's the that would be Nolan's rebuttal to our yeah. position. He'd be like, "Look, I was make that's not the film." Which we that's the kind of critique we level against certain criticisms. Uh, other, that, yeah, exactly. He yeah, would it's level not the film us. I'm making, yeah. but I yeah. think that I guess my response to that. By the way, I want to just tell people that maybe they don't know that. So Sergei Eisenstein has two collections of essays, one called Film Form and the other one called Film Sense. And they don't mean what Ryan has them. <laughs> yes, mean, it's true. They're, they're, it's very they're both true. about yeah, film yeah. form, really. So, yeah. But but nonetheless, it's an, I like what you're doing with that. So, yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've been, th- thank you for that clarification. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. I, I I wasn't meant as a critique. Obviously, it was oh, I, no, I no, like no, what yeah. you're doing. But yeah. but just to, if someone goes to like you mentioned Einstein, someone's going to look at this book. Wait a minute, film sense has a lot about film form. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> What's happening That's here? Right. Uh, but I think my response to that would be well, Oppenheimer own life uh, and his decision it it's it's not it's not this thing that's you know you're not a uh, you're not an isolated monad you're mm-hmm. you're part like you're what happens in Japan is actually part of what's happening psychically with Oppenheimer that's yeah. that's all I would yeah. say yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't even and have the film minded. even does make that I think the film even leans yeah. in that direction but it doesn't go to the conclusion I, I know it doesn't go as far as it should go. But I also would just say, I wouldn't have minded so much if it was just a blank space, right? Like there, the, 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 the thing goes off and then it's just 
you know that you know that Alanis Morissette song. I think it's you ought to know where she says, "Why are we so ter- Why are you so terrified of silence here? Can you handle this?" And then the, the the music just stops for. And then she goes, "Did you think about your? And then she did you think about when the, when you're going to die, or did you long for the next distraction? Like I think that the film could have it could have done that. I think it could have like what if it went uncomfortable. I don't know if you remember yeah. this uh, in Band of Par, Band of Outsiders by Jean-Luc Godard. Mm-hmm. They, the, the three characters are in a cafe or something, and they're like, let's have a minute of silence. And then the, mm. the, all the sound in the film cuts out so that both the, yeah. ec- both the diegetic sound, which is what they're talking about, but then also the extra diegetic noise in the right. background. So it's total silence for the spectator. And, th- and then they end. But if you, I just because I'm an idiot, I time it's 38 seconds. It feels like, 20 minutes of silence yeah, and it's just 38 yeah. seconds. So what if the film had a minute of just, or even 30 seconds of just black, right? Yeah. Like that, like that would, it seems to me like that would have alluded back to this, you know, this quantum fantasies mm. that he has in his psyche. And then it would have also evinced or evoked in some way what was happening and like the total annihilation that's mm. happening in Japan. I don't know. I, I think that that could have, you could have easily, I don't, so I'm not necessarily saying you have to have this representation. I'm just saying the way that it did it, 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 it it's exculpatory, I think. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's, um, no, I mean, I think what, you know, what you're saying is that like, there's uh, not only, not only are there, uh, there are ways of uh, representing this in other films that would be in keeping with things that Nolan himself has done, you know, in other movies right. or right. even, uh, techniques of, of editing or mise-en-scene in this film, you know, and that these are like, it's a, it's a choice not to, it's a choice not to have done it, you know? And I think that like, it's just, um, I mean, we spent so much time talking about it because we spent so much time talking about what's not like in the frame of the film and the film makes it really cl- like, it doesn't even have to have that. It's so funny. Like I, I keep coming back to that scene where he's watching the, like the, the it's huge. Well, yeah, yeah, where he's watching the documentation of it, and it just is so intentional that we, as the viewer, don't see it, but that he does see it. And so, what is our relationship to him for watching it? But we don't see it; like it's not represented. It's 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 um it's represented as metaphor in the movie when he you know when he sees the 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 woman in the audience when he's giving the rousing speech that he doesn't mean, and he sees the woman's skin like you know kind of I know. melt like. But again, melt that's off. Yeah. it's like that's. At, at at the distance of metaphor for what for what happened it's 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 kind of like it's 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 sort of like and i realize that i'm using uh the language of simile to make this point but it's it's a little bit like when um when pe- i hate when people say anything like oh so social media using social media is like heroin it is not i can guarantee <laughs> guarantee you that i I've, I've never known anyone who's died of social media um but <gasps> the, the, the opposite right. i i have and yeah. i mean like again is it a platform for bullying yes but like it wasn't the platform that did it it was the bull and the other things and that anyway but like the so i think the the in the film oppenheimer looking at the the person and then it's, it's his imagining of what happened you know what I mean? It's at this, it's, it's this yeah. remove of, of, of metaphor and it's not a, and of course, what is it like film is representation? Like, you know, of, of, of course, but it's like the diegetically, it doesn't represent what happens in, in, in Japan, except in uh, like omission and out of frame or in Oppenheimer's imagining. And I just right. think that, that I think that both of those things puts him in a better 
position. You know, he's morally. the good man of conscience. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's and, the and, good and, man and, of conscience, and even yeah. I mean, our friend Danny Cho loves the ending because he thinks mm. the ending is a depicts the all these missiles going off, right? The the yeah. and they're encircling the globe, so. It's suggesting that Oppenheimer has what he's unleashed is ultimately nuclear annihilation. And the, mm-hmm. the interaction with Einstein, I think, who, which was maybe my favorite part of the film, is like five yeah. minutes of the film, uh, also suggests that. Uh, but but the problem is that that's just that com- that gets tacked on at the end, and the two main uh, things that we see within the diegesis, right, are the what we've talked about many times: the the se- losing the security clearance, the hearing, mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. hearing for for Strauss's being confirmed as Commerce Secretary. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, we get that ending, but we don't get we we that's not been that's just kind of comes back, and it's it hasn't. It's just an end. It's like a to me that was like an ending scroll. You know, like yeah. an ending, like, oh, this is what happened. Oppenheimer actually lived into his 60s and then died of lung <laughs> cancer. You know, like that's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what yeah, those like, nuclear weapons were like. Todd, because like the end of the, Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's maybe the best one ever. I don't yeah. know. It's funny, that film, though, I think is dated because yeah. I took my I took my kids to it. They, there was, you know, showing it at theater as a, as a revival or whatever, and mm. they didn't, they, it was not their thing. Mm. They did not. Even is Belushi. 70, is that 74? 74, I think, yeah. Okay. I think, I mean, Belushi, isn't he? Yeah, I, I would have thought. I would have thought. I thought he was, he was transcended time, but I, I don't, <laughs> I don't think he does. Uh, anyway, so I think that that, so yes, I think our, but isn't Danny was right on, on about, Dan, uh, well, yeah. just on, on, on Danny's point, hi, Danny. Because uh, uh, I guess I know he listens. The um, is is there? I don't know. Like the what? What is um? Is being is thinking responsible for the? I almost think thinking that you're going to be responsible for the end of the world. It, it, there's <laughs> maybe not responsibility in that because it's over. So who are you yeah. responsible to? Whereas the film, so in representing in, in in representing the like the perhaps the logical end of like annihilation of the species of humanity on 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 planet Earth, the, if it is your fault, you don't have to live with that. Like I like <laughs> and and the but the you know but what actually happened by not being a part of the film, I, I think you sort of skirt. So like you you. In in the in an iconographic way, that's it. I nailed the pronunciation. That you you make him responsible for the the worst possibility of what he unleashed, but not again iconographically what actually happened. I think that's the maybe that that yeah. would be the the problem, yeah. right? Like like I, I think yeah. that seems to be an issue. Yeah, I yeah, I just think that's I think that's just right. I think that again, I think the film's in too much in love with Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. And that 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 to me is the ultimate. And again, it's just the biopic. It's the, it's generic. I think mm. it's generic. I think it's you. Once you go down that road, just like once you go down the war film road in Dunkirk, mm. Francois Truffaut's great line that every war film is a pro-war film, right? Mm. Like that's just maybe with the exception of of 
a couple of films by Stanley Kubrick just because he's exceptional. But um, mm-hmm. I don't think that I think, and even then, I, I I think maybe only Strange Love, and it's it's a it's obviously a satire. Yeah, I, I mean, just your, your your issue with that with that with that line though is that like it's like the war film is not the only non dialect dialectical thing in the world. Like that would be. That would be strange. Uh, like, right, like, right, yeah. right. So, right, but it's just right. that they do end up that way. So, so it's like the form is compa- compels you. So you need to have like a pretty right. And I think that's s- the problem with the biopic. Will. Yeah, 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 the yeah, biopic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The biopic yeah. and like he's, and I think this is to his credit in a sense. Like once he chose the biopic, he obeyed the logic of the form. Yeah, right, right. right but right. then that yeah. that misled him because the yeah. the biopic is a terrible form. It's a terrible form. It's not mm. a filmic form. It's a it's this it's a betrayal of narrative. It's a betrayal of narrative. That's what it is. And that's why it, like it it says content, and this is why Aristotle didn't prefer drama to history, right? Because in history there's all these stupid contingent events and who cares? That's what mm. his point was, but but in drama it's a narrative. You structure it. The dramatist structures it. And I think that's the to me that's the problem with the biopic. I mean the only ones that are successful aren't biopics. They're depictions of little events mm. in a person's life. Like Michael Mann's Ali. I think it's pretty good, but it's really just about the fight with Foreman, right? Like it's yeah. not about, and I well, think that to, that's, do, yeah. There, there, Cause there's a quilting point in that. That's what I think. There you say. Go. Like from, from there a psychoanalytic go. standpoint, there you go. there's a clear yeah. quilting point in that. Whereas I don't think there is in this movie. Right. Like, like there, there's not the like, it, you know, and my, my insistence on the, on what Lacan actually says when he, talks about it the the one time he talks about it is that it should change meaning retroactively and prospectively you know so like the where where so michael mann's film is a great example like where where that meaning is put that 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 is an argument about ali's career and then it tells you about it and his relation to Foreman, his relation yes. to Cosell, right? And his, yes, you know, right, exactly. M- moving forward, yeah, like that, like that's a that's a take. Whereas this is like this um, gives you a lot of things that could possibly be quilting points, but the film doesn't land on any of them. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, it, 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 it. This is where I think it tries to have the, the its cake and, and eat it too. On this is that like it could be like like that. That's where like that's why it is un- really unfortunate. That that line comes from Strauss when it comes from Strauss. That Oppenheimer yeah. wanted to be known for Trinity and not for Hiroshima or for Nagasaki, because that's like that. That as the quilting point of this film, I think. I think it changed. I don't think it's a three-hour film if that's the quilting point. I'll, I'll put it that yeah. way. But but yeah. because it doesn't have one exactly, or it's trying to get you to think one thing when it you know it's doing whatever. It is. Um, it's trying to be like it's trying to be overly capacious to avoid coming down in any one point. That's, I think, I think what I, what I would say. Right. I mean, and again, that's the, that's the biopic, right? That's the biopic. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, yeah, the, the, the lesson is don't make biopic. (laughs) 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 Sorry. That's not the lesson. lesson. What's the lesson, Ryan? Do you have a, geez, man, a lot. We went through a lot. We did go through a lot. There's a lot. Um, so I'm never, I'm never quite sure if it, so I, I always like the um like the kind of diagonal lesson, yeah. you know, from yeah. the from yeah, the I do thing. Too. Yeah. And I'm having trouble deciding what is most diagonal to uh to to Oppenheimer. Um because I mean it could be like another Nolan film that like it could be in some ways it could be Memento 
So, you know, you yeah. could, so, so the listeners could see like how Nolan in the past has represented his protagonist as hero and villain. Yeah. Um, and it could be, um, it could be Michael Mann, could be Ali for, um, for the, for the, um, the, the biopic point that we sort of yeah. ended on. Cause we, we did come back to that a lot yeah. in this. Um, or it could be Michael Mann's, uh, Miami Vice. We haven't said Miami Vice. I no. think we have to have said it. No. Wow. No. Wow. Never, never one time. Yeah. I think, I think the lesson is see Ali and then okay. you'll see that the way you can seem like you're making a biopic, but actually not make a biopic and, and do what you just said and do what you just said. That is mm. create a point in the film where everything, all structure of signification stop, orients around and stops, yeah. right? And yep. I think that that's what he, which is Jacques Lacan's term for that is quilting point. And I think that that, um, that film really does that in a way that the typical biopic or the biopic as a genre doesn't, doesn't do. Excellent. All right. Over and out, Ryan. Over and out, Todd.